Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. To start off with, we're joined as usual by our panel to discuss the stories in this morning's newspapers, review and preview the past and future week. On one side, it's a great pleasure to welcome the legal affairs correspondent of the Irish Times. It was his report in 2006 about the Mahan Tribunal's inquiries into payments to the then Taoiseach. Bertie Ahern created a political crisis. His refusal to cooperate with the Tribunal's inquiries into the source of the information in that report eventually led to a Supreme Court ruling governing the right of journalists to protect confidential sources of information. He's the author of books on an assorted gallery, Bertie Ahern, Charles Hawhey and Gerry Adams, as well as on the secretive banking system that operated during the Hawhey era, known as the Ansbacher Deposit. Colm Keena, you've survived week one of the Charlton Tribunal? I have, but it's a bit like back to back to the future, all right. Yeah, well, a veteran of these alongside him. It's a great pleasure to welcome the Chief Economist with the Institute of International and European Affairs, but perhaps better known as columnist with the Independent Newspapers, a senior fellow at UCD, no end to his Nixers. Dan O'Brien, are you all excited to learn about the economic statement coming up this week? Well, I wouldn't say excited, but... uh you know, well, so far as economists do uh, it, exactly, in a nerdy kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and also it's a great pleasure to welcome back the Reed Professor of Criminal Law and Criminology at Trinity College Dublin, a qualified barrister and senator representing the Labour Party, Ivana Bacic. You're able for round two of this, are you? I am, thank you, Ivan. And you're looking forward to your holidays. Uh, what is it, four months, three months? I don't think it's anything like that, sadly. Uh, or, well, not so sadly. In fact, the Shannon, as you know, Ivan, does tend to sit later than the doll into the I summer know. because is we generally it, we deal with legislation... One day a week or two. Uh, Oh, will you stop? Three (laughs) days, as you well know. (laughs) Let's go to the front page headlines. The Sunday Independent goes with Ragcar plans to spend big as tax cuts curbed. Uh, This is obviously a prelude to the economic summer statement. Suggestions that 3.7 billion, is it the same old spending being announced again or what? Uh, Lots of stuff about Leo in the papers. The Sunday Business Post seems to have a leak from the Justice Carol uh, Moran inquiry. This was the TI ticketing fiasco at the Olympics and the Rio Games. Not great news I would have thought uh, for Pat Hickey. New Hickey emails. Olympic boss playing aces in the background. Hickey told millionaire ticketing boss the situation has exploded. Uh, A lot more on that. Um, The Sunday Times goes with Radker took legal advice on Garda criticism. Taoiseach feared remarks might hit prosecutions. It seems he called in his new AG to say, uh, what I said on prime time uh, was that legally okay and he seems to have said superficially not a problem lots of coverage of the Lions sensational draw early yesterday morning and finally the Irish Mail on Sunday FG's female TDs facing meltdown this seems to be some uh, internal FG memo looking at the 40 constituencies the redraw of the constituencies and saying some of the female TDs could lose their seat well it's three and a half weeks since Leo was Taoiseach. And there's lots of insights in the paper today in terms of uh, is it style over substance? Is he acting the Egypt Declan Lynch in the in the Sindo? Connor Brady, Brendan O'Connor saying, you know, we want more of the substance and less of the style. And Owen Harris saying that he's uh, 
riding on a hot air balloon of popularity that will burst. So what do we make of Leo? Well, I suppose the first one-to-one interview he did uh, was with Primetime during the week where he set out views. Um, And I suppose the best news line that came out of it was his comments in relation to the Jobstown trial. People need to trust what the Gardaí say on the stand. Uh, And I can understand that perhaps um, uh, in a scenario whereby... uh, Lots of things are happening quickly and people get caught up in the heat of the moment and they may have uh, a recollection uh, that isn't exactly as things happened. But I would be very concerned um, if it's the case uh, that we would ever have Gardaí on a stand in the court uh, giving evidence that is not uh, in line with the facts, uh, that is not in line, for example, with the video evidence. And I think there is, um, you know, something there that needs to be looked at. Uh, both by the Guardian Commissioner and by Senior Guardian Management because we need to be able to trust that when the Guardian stand up in court and they say something happened, uh, that did happen and it shouldn't conflict with the video evidence and if it does, then that is a problem. So what was Leo really at there and what do we make of his start? My own take on it is that, first of all, I think the public are observing him and they're observing, you know, his, his quirky style. They're observing that he's not into Kenny. He can string three sentences together coherently, he can think spontaneously, and he has good insights into topics, but uh, they're, they're really not making up their mind yet. I don't read too much into the poll other than the combined FFFG is still hovering around 50%, which suggests to me that uh, either of them are going to find it impossible after the next election to rule without each other in some form or the other. But Ivana, let's just take the Jobstown thing. My take on that was that he was starting to create a new space for himself that was different to Enda Kenny because there's been a kind of Pavlovian response of every Garda crisis, whether it's Templemore or anything, oh, we full confidence in the commissioner. Uh, he was sort of saying, I don't think he was having a cut, a Gardee on the stand, where he was saying, well, my approach to these things is to be a little bit sceptical, to be a little bit standoffish, and maybe he's looking towards the end of the year, we'll come to the Charlton Tribunal later, and creating a little bit of blue water between him and Noreen. Well, uh, I think that's certainly one of the analysis that comes out most strongly in the papers when people are speculating about what he meant on, on the, in the interview. And I think John Lee in the Mail on Sunday says that this was an effort to dist- distance himself from the Garda Commissioner. I would say this, I don't always agree with Michael McDowell, but I think Michael McDowell is quite right in his piece in the Sunday Business Post to say that, Leo, that the Taoiseach was foolish to speculate, as he did, about the, the evidence offered in the trial. I think it was... Uh, I think it's always dangerous to do that. You know? Why? Well, because jury, you know, I would be a staunch defender of the jury system. Having worked as a criminal barrister, I think our, we have a very robust jury system. But I, And I think jurors take their responsibilities very seriously. And the fact is that none of us, nobody observing a trial or any criminal trial from the outside, can really put themselves in the minds of the jurors who are sitting there as the 12 people responsible on deciding on the veracity of the accounts given. Well, and, well, of course, well, on deciding well, well, whether well, the prosecution... Well, Paul, Paul Murphy so, was sitting exactly where you are now. And he said... You know, the conflict between the video evidence and the guard evidence was so clear-cut that it required an inquiry. Do you not agree with that? I don't agree with that. No, I don't agree with that. I think that 
what we saw was the jury, the jury carrying out their duties responsibly and robustly as they do. We've seen a number of trials in recent, indeed in recent months, where we've seen acquittals. The Jeff Hendricks trial this week, Shawnee Fitzpatrick's trial. You know, there's been a number of trials where there's been acquittals. There's no need, you know, we don't call for public inquiries where there's been acquittal. I think it's quite correct in this case, as, an, as indeed in others, uh, that the Guardian would conduct a review themselves of what went on, that the DPP's office, which again is an independent office, would conduct a review. But I don't agree with the call for a public inquiry. I don't think we should be politicising our criminal justice system in that way. And I think that uh, one of the huge strengths of our system is the way the jur- jurors <laughs> take their responsibility and the way the DPP's office is independent. And with Jobstown, I think, again, Michael McDougall is right to say, you know, the boorish behaviour of water campaign protesters was badly policed. An overblown legal strategy was bound to play into the hands of Paul Murphy and his fellow would-be martyrs for the cause of street politics. I think that's a fairly... But, but sorry, Michael McDougall also makes the point. Why was this not dealt with as public order offences in the district court. He actually argues very strongly that the overcharging by the DPP is the matter that maybe should be inquired into. Well, I'm sure the DPP's office is conducting their own review into that and clearly that's a question that many have asked. I've seen certainly some speculation that the reason for it, and I don't think this is a, I, by the way, I don't, uh, you know, I, I think there's a problem if this is the reason. Like Brendan Howland pro- was sitting also say, where yeah, you are and, and, yeah, and he said quite the same. clear. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, and I agree with that. I think most people looking at it would say, why wasn't this charged as some of the other individuals were charged in the district court with public order offences? I think this, there is some speculation that the investigation was delayed and that they ran out of time to issue district court summonses. I don't know. I don't, none of us know that. I think there is a serious question to be asked about where the charges are brought, but it was entirely a decision of the DPP. Let's be clear about okay. that. And nothing to do with any individual witnesses. Dan O'Brien, th- those arguments about the Jobstown trial are well rehearsed. The angle yes. I want to pursue uh, is Leo uh, today. And what was Leo at? Well, what uh, do you uh, think? Purely speculative. My view is it much less to do with the trial. There is a growing perception in this country that the Gorda Corner is a state within a state and that it is not accountable. Now, that is a perception that is growing because of numerous and continuous cases of scandal involving the Gordashi corner. And that is a very, very serious state of affairs. Now, my reading of the Taoiseach's statement the other night was sending a signal to the guards that things have changed now. I am not giving you a backing come what may. I'm sending a signal that if three members of, as Colm set out in his piece in his paper yesterday, if three members the Gordashi O'Connor went into that trial and had pre-organised statements that were false if that is an extremely serious matter. And my reading of his statement was he was sending a signal about that very thing. And that sends a wider signal to the Gordashi O'Connor that uh, simply saying, no matter what the scandal is, that the the, the Taoiseach of the day fully stands behind uh, the Gordi that perhaps he is now sending a signal that the scandals that have that have been going on or the way things have been done up to now cannot continue. And of course, in fairness, that's, it's not out of complete left field because as Minister for Transport, he created shockwaves in both political and guard circles by saying that Morris McCabe, who was being smeared at the time, was distinguished as a whistleblower uh, rather than disgusting as Martin Callanan characterised. And him. certainly so all of the evidence seems echoes of that. And all the evidence to date... The evidence to date would support that his judgment at that time was correct. Okay, um, Colin Keena, uh, we're going to come on to the Charlton Tribunal separately. But what's your assessment of 
because I, I don't think it was top of the head stuff from Leo. He wanted to say something about this and he was setting down a marker. One could say that he's trying to ride, you know, uh, uh, popularity things of, you know, oh, I understand the Jobstown people too. What do you think he was at? Well, I, I think it was definitely uh, prepared. It was, it was a conscious decision to, to, to make the point and possibly motivated by what to distance himself from the Garda Commissioner. Um, but if he did want to distance him, himself from the Garda Commissioner, I thought it was bad ground to, to choose. I thought it was bad judgment to uh, choose that particular topic. We've got a pending trial. We've just had a lot of debate as a kind of a fractious uh, relationship between the legal system and the uh, the executive and the parliament over, you know, you say so on my field. you agree with me, old Martin, who came straight out of traps and said on a tweet, this was ill-judged. You agree yeah, with Yeah, I that? think it was ill-judged because it, it causes more uh, complications and he had he had uh, criticised Micheál Martin uh, recently for um, for not observing the separation of powers when he when we were when he was talking about Maura Whelan's appointments at the Court of Appeal, so this seems to me to be the executive interfering in 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 the work of the courts, and uh, I don't think that's such a great idea. There's pending trials in this, and I've no doubt that his comments are going to complicate this matter. And plus, in in terms of. Uh, uh, party politics, if you want, so on. It certainly, I thought the the tide was going out, and there's no doubt in my mind that Paul Murphy and his associates are using the trial, um, and no matter what result, as a political, has, platform. As a pl- political yeah. platform, they're quite delighted with it. And uh, so he seems to have given it oxygen again. So it's on two fronts. It seemed to me to be a bad choice. Uh, uh, Van, I want to move on to the wider thing of of the panel's interpretation and impressions because you know they say first impressions are lasting Uh, so here you have a guy who goes to Downing Street and I actually thought like people got on their high horse about it having a quip about love actually was a kind of human thing to do to actually have a pair of Canadian socks to show off uh, at Farm Lee I thought was funny Uh, and either way is just a sideshow to more serious points that he's trying to get across. I think if you criticise Leo, it might be that uh, he's raising expectations about things in terms of tax cuts and spending that might be unsustainable in a a post-Brexit world in terms of more cramped fiscal space and so on. But what do do you think? Do you think the public shows a slight dip for uh, uh, Fine Gael today? What do you think the public make of Leo? Well, it's interesting because Leo or the Taoiseach's strength has always been, I think, from the public perception that he talks directly. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't deal in sort of subtleties or stepping around the answers to questions and so on. And I think that's why I think Cullum's right about the ill-judged comment that if he wants to distance himself from the commissioner, he has a he has a tradition and indeed has built up a reputation for speaking much more directly in that way. And if he's continuing to express confidence in the commissioner and yet making these sort of side comments about guard evidence in trials that just doesn't ha- that doesn't tally I suppose with the reputation he's built up and that may well be Ivan I think why as you say people are still making up their minds about him as Taoiseach what, what, socks, What's your impression? Well my impression is that the stuff like the socks and the love actually that's all fine it's fine but it's probably not really Is it really, Egyptry? It's, it's Declan Lynch calls it Egyptry I saw that and it's I think Brendan O'Connor calls it tomfoolery mm. you know and there's a lot of that sort of comedy But do we not I think, need a little tomfoolery in our lives? I, I think that's fine to have a little lightness like that but I think the 
problem is it's now tipping over into affecting public the public judgment about whether there's any actual substance there. I think that's the difficulty for the Taoiseach now is that if, if the tomfoolery is what it's all about, it becomes a bit like Trump where it looks like he's trying to distract us from the lack of actual substance. The reality is, you know, this is the quietest July in the Dáil and Chanad, I can recall, because apart from last year, which was also very quiet, because there's so little legislation going through, there's so little policy making of real substance going through. This week, I, I said in the Shannon, I mean, if, if the Taoiseach really wants to pay tribute to Justin Trudeau and Canadian, so in Canadian progressive politics, let's see him actually deliver. Let's see him deliver a 50-50 gender balanced cabinet instead of instead of actually reducing the number of women at government level. You know, let's see him actually follow through on some key commitments on housing, for example. You know, a key area where he said he wants to really change things and actually deliver change and appointing Neon Murphy as minister and so on. Well, let's see some delivery on that. You know, let's see the summary economic statement. I know we're going to talk about it later, but let's see real commitment to delivering public infrastructure. Is, is, there, not, is there not a trend emerging, Dan, uh, that he has already been man-marked? Like, there was things that Enda got away with Micheál Martin didn't respond to. It seems at every hand's turn uh, Micheál Martin's going to be in his face. Um, what, what, what's your impression of that rivalry? And, and, you know, it's a precursor to the election campaign uh, that's obviously on a countdown to... Do you think... Does Leo impress you, Dan? Well, let, let me say just, you know, what the public wants is kind of the holy grail of politics, of marketing, of, and, and, and of everything. And nobody really knows. Like, nobody really knows what the public wants because the mm. public is, you know, there's millions of us. We're, we're, we're constantly changing. We and, like, Brendan O'Connor's piece of the back page of Sunday Independent, he, he, Brendan is very good at getting the zeitgeist, getting mm. a sense of the zeitgeist. I, I, don't, I don't claim to, you know, have my finger on the pulse of what we as, a, as four or five billion people actually want. So it's not clear to me. And... And, and things can change very quickly. The most remarkable political change I've seen in recent years has been Theresa May. She went into that election mm. looking like she was popular, she was viewed as being competent, she Assured, was yeah. And now she is... The public just case, totally yeah. went against her. <laughs> so what happened? There, was, there wasn't a big scandal. Nobody found out that she had a big Swiss bank account. Mm. Nothing really happened. Just when people started looking at her, they said, no, actually, we don't like this woman. Now, I, you know, when people start scrutinising Leo now as Taoiseach... Which way will they go? Will they say, yeah, we really like him? Or will they say, no, it's a bit frivolous? And I have no idea the answer to that question. Uh, Colin? Um, yeah, when I saw the photographs from, from Farm Lee and the socks and so on, I, I funnily, the first thought that came to my mind, you know, is often a, a valid one, uh, one worth uh, noting. So I was reminded of a, um, of a comment that a public relations official uh, uh, made to uh, a barrister way back in the day when there was a lot of scandals about barristers making too much money uh, walking in and out of tribunals in Dublin Castle, never be photographed smiling. It was his advice to the barrister because the public all, already think you're earning too much money. Look like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Be never caught looking like you're pleased with yourself. Good so, advice, yeah. yeah. So I thought, when I saw... You never the, know when a phoenix yeah, uh, when I saw the, the, <laughs> covers the, in yeah, your, heading I, your way. When yeah. I saw the socks and the... Uh, the um, the glasses, uh, sunglasses, and out jogging. That was I thought. You better not do this too, too much because it'll 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 form uh, a view in the public mind that you're pleased with yourself and delighted with your role. And we're all dependent. But your Andrew was in those light crowds. I agree with you. You know the cycling. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. Appalling. Actually, yeah, I agree with you. But you know, the first time I, I saw Enda delighted with himself it, when the country looked like it was really going to fall through the floor and collapse entirely. I was delighted to see somebody who was optimistic. So, so maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's, it's different times and it's different, different strokes for different folks and so on. But, uh, so you're was, against the socks? I'm not so much against the socks. I just think you have to balance it out. Um, 
And funnily enough, there's also the, the prophet in his own village as well. I gather the, the, the coverage in, in London, in the foreign media were delighted with this guy who comes over and says, you know, refers to Love Actually and he's in 10 Downing Street. And he says, you're so lucky you have a, a human being, you know, mm. a, a, as a prime minister. And uh, so... But, you know, often this thing can, you know, people people back home have a different perspective or might develop a different perspective over time. So just to end on a really boring and, and serious note, I think one of the things that really scared me last week or the week before was predictions in, in the UK. And they were mirrored here in a report last last week as well by uh, daft.ie that house prices are going to carry on going up by, you know, very ser- serious percentage year and year in the coming decade. And that's going to lead to massive homelessness. And so, you know, I think... They, you know, you need a Taoiseach who's worried about that and and is going to do something about it, is, you know, goes to bed to at night. To be really earnest. Yeah, to goes to bed at night sure. and really does lose sleep sure. about that. Sure. And, you know, smiling and, and pretty soft. Just before it, we take you know. an ad break and come on to, to our next item of business, just a text I want to put to, to you as a lawyer, a criminal lawyer, uh, Ivana. Isn't the Jobstown trials only half finished? Isn't there enough six or seven to go to trial? I think the figure is 11. The 11. defence solicitors will have great ammunition to, for Garda witnesses with what Rag said, said Tom and Mayo. Is that valid? point or not? Well, I As think, a barrister. Well, so there are 11 people, I think, still before the courts and um, there is a concern and that's referred to in a lot of the papers about whether the Taoiseach's comments have affected that. There's, ev- there's um, reports that the Taoiseach had taken legal advice or took legal advice, I think, subsequent to making the comments. It's not quite clear actually whether it was before or after from the Attorney General about whether the prosecutions might be affected. I think it's unlikely that the comments will have a direct... Uh, well, it's very hard to know, actually, Ivan. To be honest, it's hard well, to so know. So if you were I'm a defence lawyer, could you say, yes. but the Taoiseach said on national television yes, that Gardaí cannot be relied upon, blah, blah, blah. Of course, defence lawyers will be able to refer to those comments and, are, and may well do so in closing speeches and so on. Will they have an actual effect? Very hard to know. Will it be, a ju- it, depending on whether it's jury trial or a district judge sitting alone? I think all some of us may well remember uh, ill-advised comments in the past that put yes. paid to the actual putting forward of the trial against Charlie Hoy. I mm-hmm. think I'm right, That's Mary right. Harney's yeah, comment. Mary Harney. And Ivan, I think think the the danger, this comes back to my first point, I think it's always dangerous, particularly when there's other trials pending, for a a, a politician, a minister, particularly a minister or Taoiseach, to make a comment that appears to prejudge in some way outcomes or or to make some sort of comment about evidence that was offered that only the jury, in fact, were the people who were actually to make the decision on. So I think think that's the danger. Colm, you've already alluded to this, that it could get involved in the trial. What's your sense? Oh, I think undoubtedly, if, if... there's, if there's evidence in the, in the pending trial that involves a conflict between a guard and the video evidence, which there will because nobody's memory is perfect. So you say what I remember from the day and then you show a video, there'd always be a difference. So then you can introduce what the Taoiseach said and use it as part of your ammunition. My panel today, Colm Keena, Dan O'Brien and Ivana Batchik. Colm, you attended uh, in Dublin Castle the first week of the Charlton Disclosures Tribunal. Now, I wasn't there, but uh, I watched with interest the media report, and I think it's a disgrace that we can't get the live audio to play back, whatever about bringing the TV cameras in, because I think we're bringing it to life. Now, I listened to Laura Brophy, the counsellor who initiated the, the file, the copy and pasted and mixed up with another file where you had Ms. D and Ms. Y. I then listened to what her supervisors, Laura Connolly uh, and Madlone and so on, did in the HSE. And I have to put it, in all these things back in my days in politics, when something went wrong, it was either an unbelievable cock-up or there was a bit of a conspiracy there. 
I just have huge difficulties going with the cock-up theory from this point of view. If I write a column, uh, or if I write an email to you, I actually read it over before I press the send button. And God knows I'm a bit of a technophobe. Uh, But, I mean, on important matters like this, I mean, the word catastrophe has been used for some of the uh, errors. Can it really, really be believable that it was all a terrible mistake? Well, uh, you know, using the inaccurate uh, sense of the word, word, it's kind of unbelievable. But yeah, you had to sit there listening to this uh, litany of mistakes and uh, uh, coincidences and so on. And you're always looking out for the hidden hand. Who's in control there? Who's directing the the events in this particular direction so that they're always catastrophic for Morris McCabe and you couldn't see the hidden hand you couldn't see there were too many actors involved there were too many uh, um, social workers and psychologists who were involved in in the in child sex abuse child care area uh, in two different agencies uh, in different offices making these ridiculous or shocking uh, mistakes and uh, then sending on forms to other agencies by post to people that you know they didn't know who were going to open who was going to open them, and then that person receives the document, uh, doesn't notice mistake on it, transcribes the the mistake into another document, sends it off to another agency, and um, in one instance, uh, somebody who's uh, who's writing up a report ba- based on a, on an inaccurate report that has two victims. Uh, named on the same report, great, uh, like someone said, this makes out. no sense. Yeah. yeah, so she corrects it by by rubbing out one name and saying it must be the other person. Doesn't check with anybody and sends it off to the guards, um, and then that leads to this extremely serious allegation of very very sex- serious uh, rape, essentially digital rape against a child, uh, going on to the guard of files uh, in, against Morris McCabe. Um, but if, if all you, relating to a man who became a national figure, like I would describe no, this as a cluster, something re- yes, rhyming with yeah, duck. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, but actually, by the time these the, this really catastrophic stuff was happening, he was all over the news. I mean, you know, and uh, is it credible? Is it credible? Because you were there with your yes, notebook. Is it credible? The only other alternative is that all these people are first of all going into the witness box and lying, and I just don't believe that. And secondly, that somebody somewhere was organising it because these people don't necessarily know each other. They don't know. They, most of them said they'd never heard of Morris McCabe. They weren't reading the newspapers. They weren't paying any attention to the whistleblower guard. Some of them only learned that Morris McCabe was a guy. But did Charlton not put the hypothetical question oh, that if you wanted to do down McCabe, this would be a good way to do it? Did absolutely. Not, did not infer absolutely. that? Absolutely. He said, and he said it to, to the woman who, um, Laura Brophy, the psychologist, just to explain to people who don't know, she was dealing with an allegation of, um, uh, you know, um, that there was inappropriate motions for let's dry humping. It's called uh, in the report uh, when Morris McCabe was playing with this girl called Miss D when she was six years old during a game of of hide and seek, and they were all fully clothed. It's a momentary issue, and the DPP decided some years later that even if everything Miss D was saying was true, it wouldn't constitute sexual assault. So that was it. It was. She she says she's really upset by what happened. And it was you know it's a memory she has. But the, the authorities have looked at it and said it doesn't even constitute sexual assault. But this woman, uh, Laura Brophy, mistranscribed the document. Let's say when she, some years later when she was dealing with uh, Miss D uh, as a client and in, entered into another woman's complaint into the document and ended up. With but if she reread her own notes, she would have spotted that. Yeah, but she also spoke about the matter on the phone. And the woman she was speaking to on the phone took notes, but she gave the right version of events to the woman on the phone. 
So then, and then who the, failed to rectify it? Yeah, who, yeah, who worked in the same agency that subsequently received the, the, the wrong report. And, the and was the cross examination on behalf of McCabe effective? Oh. Uh, I just wanted to come back to your earlier point. The judge made the point that when all of this was going on, the guards were investigating Morris McCabe for the 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 uh, I think another sex case where um, a laptop had gone missing in Baileyborough uh, um, station, and he was the subject of a disciplinary tribunal, which eventually came out in his favour. So the judge was saying, "Is this is this episode something to do with?" The, the disciplinary tribunal that was going on was this an effort to blacken his name in the course of this disciplinary tri- tribunal it would have fed into the hands of people of people who were really and she said she, you know you could see from, from a moment she didn't really understand what the judge was getting at you know and then, then she understood and she said no I wouldn't have had to do with that I mean I know and she never got a feeling that and the cross-examination well the, cr- the cross-examination by Michael McDool he's very good he, he represents Morris McCabe and that, again, was another troubling aspect of it. And it's not to do with, uh, you know, maybe the, the main focus of the tribunal. But what he brought home to you was how this individual, Morris McCabe, nobody tells Morris McCabe that this is going on. Social services, although they're supposed to, to, to contact him and tell him, don't. The guards who realise that there's a rape allegation here that's not true, don't contact him and tell him that's going on. So what Morris, or what Michael McDougall keeps on doing is saying, you know, what about my client's position? And you can, you, you know, it's it's ghastly for the social workers and psychologists they're really not uh, they're really exposed as to how he was the mirror there. comes up yeah, yeah because I would say there's, 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 um, there's, there's a lot of debate okay. about uh, data protection and the, the, the rights and wrongs of what happened for Miss D and very little uh, consideration given to a man who seems to have been subject of a, a false uh, allegation and, and so the next stage is over the next few weeks the guard is dealing of all this yeah. in other words okay we'll go with the cock up thing uh, yeah. with yeah. reservations yeah. the Gardaí could have cleared all this up quite quickly is well, that is that where this is going to where next? this is going is then wh- how did the guards use this cock up how did they use these reports or did you know did they treat uh, Morris McCabe fairly or did they try to use him to, to smear him uh, D- Dan O'Brien I want to sort of take that background noise of the Charlton thing and how it's going to unfold and Dave Taylor still to come towards the end of the year with another story which is the PAC are doing a report into Templemore and you also have the fake breath tests. There's a very interesting story in the Mail on Sunday that John Lee has where they seem to have got the full leak of John Barrett, who is, in case people forget, the Garda Human Relations Chief. He has made a second submission to the Public Accounts Committee. And basically, it, 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 we're aware already of the conflict between him and the Commissioner about how the fraud in the accounts has been dealt with and how vigorously it's been uh, pursued and got to the bottom of. Is this more trouble for the Commissioner? Uh, again, I think it's important we don't personalise this around excessively around the Commissioner. Of course, it's extremely important. This is a much bigger thing about how the Gordashiakona functions. This is a case where large sums of taxpayers' money, both Irish taxpayers' money and European taxpayers' money, uh, appears to have gone into accounts and is unaccounted for. Um, This is a very serious matter. These are members of the force who there is a lack of clarity around where this money went. So John Barrett, the same man, says in, in the piece, he says himself, his own words, very serious issues of gross financial mismanagement, how they came to be ignored, protected and, and enabled in plain sight since 2008. Like, these are extremely serious matters. 
Um, and again, I stress, I, I think we shouldn't excessively focus on the commissioner herself because I think it's actually much more worrying than that. I think and that is undoubtedly true. That's the culture issue. Problems. And let me also uh, throw something in here. I think we're generally bad in this country compared to our peers at investigating holding to account. We have numerous tri- tribunals, etc. I think it's going to be very interesting to watch. The European anti-fraud boys are coming yes. to town. And now, it's see Paul money. That exactly. Apparently, the story is that leaving aside the, the laundry account and the restaurant account, this was EU... So if you want to do a course in Templemore on cyberbullying or on cyber anything cybercrime, then you go and apply to see Paul for money. It's their money that's missing in European body. Yeah, EU exactly. Body. Now, the EU money laundering crowd are coming in here. These guys have no connection with the guards. They are outs- an outside body. I think that's going to be a shock to the system here when these guys come in and start looking to what happened to European taxpayers' money. And we saw earlier this week, we saw dawn raids by European officials, competition officials in Ireland. Now, that's a very unusual thing in relation to the insurance thing. Now, you're going to have an EU, a bunch of outsiders coming in saying, where is our money? People are going to be asked questions. It'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Ivana. Well, I think that the problem does lie in the culture within Angarda Shikana, a culture that's clearly been facilitated by management at the highest levels. And if you look further down John Barrett's statement reproduced in the Mail on Sunday, he talks about fundamental organisational and leadership change must come. And I think that comes through very strongly from the... Uh, from the PAC hearings, the series of hearings where if one looks at them, one sees just such a uh, demarcation, such a difference between the evidence of the civilians, like John Barrett, who of course is a civilian uh, uh, head of um, human resources, between the civilian managers who were brought in from outside, if you like, and hadn't come up through the ranks, and those serving guardy, even at the highest level, who'd come up through the ranks, and who were very much part of the culture of defensiveness. Now, you know, some years ago, the Garda Inspectorate produced a really damning report in November 2015 on policing in Ireland. It's an enormous report. We dealt with it on the Justice Committee. We brought Bob Olson and his colleagues from the Inspectorate in. And a lot of what they said is just, you know, it's now coming to light, I suppose. It's, it's in, but it's in that very dense report. What about things a about, civilian commissioner? Apparently someone rang me up and said, you know, back in the 60s, for, for a decade, there was a civilian commissioner. What, what's so wrong with that? I think Dermot Farage has written about that. And I think that's, you know, I, I think there's a few things. Back in 2005, a Garda Chicon Act was introduced. That did reform in many ways policing structures, but unfortunately not the accountability and leadership the top level, if you like. It didn't reform that. It didn't introduce, which we should have at the time, an independent policing authority. We now have the independent policing authority that is now... Which but seems it's only, very toothless. But it's only, only in place since 2015. You know, that's the problem, I think, is that this is very new structure. I think that that new structure could be the opportunity, should uh, be the body that brings It has no presence in Garda changes. Head Office in it, Phoenix Park. That's the problem. It's still it, being It doesn't deal with promotions of sergeants, inspectors or superintendents. So we need to give that more teeth. We need to give that more power and we need to implement the recommendations of the Garda Inspector Report. Damning report about just a malaise, a lack of morale at lower levels, frontline Garda trying to do their jobs without adequate resourcing, without adequate supervision or training structures and this culture at the top that just says we must close ranks, defend the indefensible. I I just want to say, Colm, when I hear Dan and Ivana there talking about culture, it kind of reminds me of Enda Kenny at Davos saying, sure, the country went mad. That's what happened with the crash. In mm. other words, what's everybody's fault ends up being no one's responsibility. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, what I found really shocking about uh, uh, John Barrett's submission to the Public Counts Committee was the, or the, the, the fact that he's alleging something akin to what happened to Morris McCabe's, uh, 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 the allegations, you know, he... Mm. 
they didn't like what he was doing, so they started to smear him and whisper about him and attack him. And he he, he refers to uh, you know this being uh, uh, similar to what the stuff that tribe Peter Charlton Tribunal are looking at. So I think that has you know the the book has to stop. At, at senior management, um, mm. the commissioner was in front of the the committee, uh, uh, the Oireachtas committee, and you know she seemed to be fudging it. And as as I think uh, Jim O'Callaghan and Fianna Fáil have said repeatedly, we have these stats problems. You know the stats problems with more people being uh, recorded as having been breathalysed and could have been breathalysed, and we still haven't been told why that happened and how it could have happened. And, it's and a announcement this week of further this delay. Is, yeah, it's in a simple, simple enough question. And so you know there's something really wrong. Yes, Dan. Yeah, I think it's just important to acknowledge clearly there's nobody here representing the Gord that you're putting that side of the story. So maybe just to acknowledge that. But Ivana brought up the, the, uh, a report, uh, the Gord Inspectorate report of November 20. 15, I really would urge people to Google that yeah. and read the first 40-page executive mm. summary. It'll probably take 20 minutes. No, Bob Olsen is doing a great job. in terms yeah. of seeing the sheer scale of the problems within the force. A 40-page executive summary, well worth reading. And well, I should say, Dan, I mean, when the commissioner came in, the Nori O'Sullivan, new commissioner, she did undertake to implement the changes. You know, th- this is the problem, mm-hmm. is that these these recommendations are sitting there, the report made, you know, really, pr- you know, presages a lot of what we're now seeing coming out, and yet the change hasn't happened. So clearly there does need to be accountability for the lack of implementation of these recommendations. All right, you're listening to Yates on Sunday. Now, up next, we'll be talking budgetary and economic matters. Of course, the budget summer statement is due, which is a prelude to the 2018 budget. We'll try not to use use the new F word in new politics. I don't want to use that um, terrible term, the fiscal space. It's a new kind of F word, isn't it? Let me say a couple of things about the space. I know it was very complex. The space. Space. Responsible management. Fastest flip-flop. It's very complicated. Do keep the texts and tweets going, Dave and Bayside. Is that on the north side? I don't deal with the north side. But anyway, I thought Ivan was much too important to write his own emails. Well, you're actually right about that, now that I think about it. Anyway, we all have to dumb down. Now, uh, my panel of Colin Keena, Dan O'Brien and Ivana Bacek are still with me. Dan, I want to turn to the economy. There seems to be mixed messages coming in relation to what we can expect uh, for this summer statement. I read in the Mail on Sunday that it's going to be a very specific £3.7 of capital spending with uh, juicy projects, some of which may be a re- microwave reheat. The Indo goes with regular plans to spend big as tax cuts are curbed. Uh, first of all, as, as an economist, what is the leeway? We, we have this fiscal structure which we must live in. Uh, we're, we're quite close to a balanced budget. We have 200 billion of a national debt which has to be serviced. What, what do you think is the leeway on the spending and tax side for Budget 18? Right. Well, unfortunately, uh, Ivan, measuring the fiscal space is rocket science. It's a very, very complicated thing. Just well, we're big boys and no, girls. We can. I, I would have to sit in days in front of spreadsheets <laughs> and doing work on all sorts of okay. stuff. So it's very difficult. We don't know a number of parts of it, so we don't know how much the new public pay deal is going to cost. Now, that's eaten into the fiscal space because there was already a projection for public sector pay. There was the new deal on top of it. That's going to eat into it. We're going to see that's com- going to come out next week. The government's full set of figures on what's available will come out next week. That's scheduled to come out. So it's only then we'll know. But what we do know is this, that we have a very small fiscal space. So the amount of new spending and tax cuts the government can do 
is very limited. Would you care to put a upper and lower figure on uh, that? Like, I, do we have between three and 500 million? I, I, of, of I, I, I haven't seen the numbers. There's been a lot of change, and it's a very complicated thing to... to uh, to, to measure and on that basis I'm not going to it would be I'd be just picking a, a figure out of the air but I think that from, from people's perspectives in terms of their pockets and purses it's not going to make a big difference either way because there's whatever tax cuts there are going to be they're going to be small the front page of the Sunday Independent today clearly the government uh, is signalling is trying to dampen down expectations it may have been a big mistake by the Taoiseach to to uh, give raise expectations about what's achievable uh, in, in terms of tax cuts and increased spending. There is not a lot that's going to change and it's not going to impact people. People are not going to be looking at their pay packets after the budget and saying, wow, that's a real uh, change. Especially with the confidence of supply saying any leeway has to be applied two to one in favour of spending over tax. And that's, that's been, that's, that is, the Sunday Independent reporting is that that is being maintained. So spending will go up and the focus now seems to be on uh, infrastructure spending, capital spending. Surely that's needed, oh, given the capacity restraints in Dublin. Well, it, there are three things the government can do. It can invest in those sort of capacity issues. It can increase spending on things like public sector pay and welfare or it can cut taxes. Certainly, from an economic perspective, the, the best thing is investment spending. Of those in terms of public transport, infrastructure to develop housing, water, sanitary services, roads, Ex- that kind of exactly, thing. Exactly, because that, those sort of things that actually allow the economy to grow more quickly in the future. Whereas if you increase pay on public, uh, public sector pay or you cut taxes for everyone, that won't, that'll further dem- add demand to the economy. But if you have don't have the supply side ability to meet that I, demand, I, you're just slight, going to get I'm inflation. slightly surprised by your answer because what I was expecting you to say was, here we have the reality of Brexit starting to permeate through the economy, a slowdown in terms of British consumer activity, the sterling having gone from 76 to 88 pence, you know, the, that feeding back into a lost competitiveness situation and maybe, you know, some everything from used cars to mushrooms, uh, difficulties there, that that means we can't be as I, racy I on the growth no, side. No, but you, you like, asked me a question, how big is the fiscal space? Yes. You didn't ask me what I think we should do. What okay. I think we should do... Should we be cautioned? Uh, I, I think we should be, you know, what, the, what this government and its predecessor has done each time is go to the limit of the fiscal rules and then bend them, if not break them. The Fiscal Council, our own watchdog, has said the government has broken some of its own rules in terms of managing the public finances. So there's always been this spend as much as possible, give the biggest tax cuts possible. Now that, let's just be clear, we're fine. You think years. that's wrong? I, I think it's very dangerous. You know, nobody wants austerity. The best way to avoid austerity is to get back in the black, pay down the debt. Balanced budget? But not a balanced budget, a surplus in the budget. Because if you have a surplus in your budget and the economy slows down, you're going to lose that surplus and go into deficit. That's fine. Hopefully nothing would be needed. But if you're already in a deficit and the economy slows, then you go into or a interest big rates go up. deficit or interest rates go up. You then go into a big deficit and then the brakes have to be slammed on. What we don't want to do is have tax cuts and spending increases in the good times and austerity in the bad times. It should be the other way around. And that lesson doesn't seem to have been learnt. But you see, you're speaking like a nerdy economist. I am which a nerdy is economist. Fun. I know, but the point is this. Leo has an election to win. And, but and I, the way you do that is by vote, votes with voters' money. Well, may, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think there is a market, a political market in this country, for a leader to come out and say, I want to protect you. I want to protect you and your family in the future. I'm going to do the hard thing now so that three or four years down the line, when inevitably the economy slows... You are protected, and we're not going to go back into austerity. Uh, Ivana, prudence first. Not well, all these expectations of cutting marginal ra- rates of tax for people on 33 grand a year at all. 
Well, I think um, I think again, it's a balance, isn't it? I mean, the Taoiseach has uh, rode back rather, in fact, on some of the political promises made, and we're seeing now the early risers. Row back, the early risers, I think, maybe now worried that uh, the late risers are gaining a march in them. I think you know he's rowing back clearly on the USC, the uh, original promise or. Uh, statement that he would abolish USC um, he's made a U-turn on the uh, social welfare fraud which I, you know, I welcome that that was ridiculous and a clearly a sort of a dog whistle attempt to appeal to Fine Gael members at a time of the Fine Gael leadership contest so I'm glad he U-turned to that I think the difficulty for him and this comes back to our earlier discussion is if he is seen as somebody who does U-turns particularly on economic issues that he then falls into the, the sort of trap that Theresa May fell into and again we talked earlier about her fall from popularity largely I think you can pinpoint that to the point where she made the U-turn on a disastrous Tory policy around uh, what was called the the dementia dementia tax. tax. Exactly, the dementia tax. I think the other difficulty, though, is that when people start talking about, and this is a broader point, when people start talking about fiscal space, and and you see the new term, hidden fiscal space, it's a huge turn-off. Well, that's robbing Peter to pay Paul's Let's just actually call it what it is. Fiscal space means money available. We were trying to remember earlier who invented this crazy term. Well, I think it was Michael Noonan, actually, who talked about the next election, the last election, yeah. Money available to spend. And hidden fiscal space, money we didn't know we had that's in our back pocket that we might have available to spend. And what's really worrying this week is, you know, another and another potential difficulty for the Taoiseach is that he'd formally said, I think, that he would use the state's rainy day fund, acknowledging we do need to spend on public infrastructure and that the state's rainy day fund could be used in that. But the Public Accounts Committee hearing this week, there's in fact no money in the rainy day fund, meaning there is actually no hidden fiscal space. In other words, no money we didn't think we had that, that sort of we had in our back pocket. So I think the difficulty is, you know, Nobody is quite sure how much there is available to spend. There's an estimate, I think, in the mail on Sunday that 3.7 billion will be spent. 3.7 billion euros in additional infrastructure spending. Mm. Now, clearly, there is that's a need. That's once-off spending. Yeah, yes. once-off spending. But clearly, there's a need for that, particularly on housing. I think, and I think that's where the Taoiseach should be delivering. In, in all of this, in all of this, column, I, I was hoping because Leo had been in social protection. I have been waxing on every chance I get about the biggest time bomb this country faces is the lack of pension provision. Uh, the country's growing older. Mm-hmm. And Leo had the balls to say as social protection, we need a new bl- a blueprint, which was an auto-enrolment pension scheme, one-third paid by employer, one-third paid by employee, and one-third paid by the state. And reforming the USC into a nationwide pension scheme would be a once-off opportunity of making, in my view, a historic milestone legacy decision. And I was hoping that that's where we... Because you won't be able to do everything. Well, it's clear from Dan says, you won't be able to cut taxes, increase spending, and keep every vested interest happy. Do you see any glimmer that they're going to take... Because every government since 07, we had a green paper on pensions, have deferred and deferred this issue because it's, it's not an immediate election yes. issue. Do you see any hope there that they might grasp that nettle? No, I, I don't. And it goes back to our earlier discussion about, um, you know, the socks and so on. I mean, I, 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 I just was reminded uh, of a phrase of Colin McCarthy as to why the country collapsed uh, um, uh, back when it did. And he, his, his analysis was it was due to an all-pervasive lack of seriousness. Uh, it wasn't the bankers or the developers or the politicians. It was an all-pervasive lack of seriousness. And I think like the pension thing or the housing problems, really uh, big stuff that's coming down the line. We need somebody to make uh, very serious decisions and say, even though it doesn't fit with the electoral cycle, I'm just going to go and do this. And um, the, um, I think that you, you know you could bet that you could it'd be worth taking the risk that you get the electoral uh, electoral reward because uh, 
you know, I, so I you're saying Leo's ending in disguise? No, I'm not. I'm not saying, but, but it'd be nice to be reassured that he's not. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think if he took the gamble and said, right, I'm not going to give away the goodies in the budget. I'm going to say, listen, things are pretty good now. We're going to put money in the bank, pay off the debt. And then here's the two big things I'm going to do. And in 10 years time, we'll get the reward. I think people would be reassured that, that because it's rather unsettling, you know, Brexit and Trump and, mm. you know, Marine Le Pen and so on. Which so are beyond you, his control. Yeah, yeah. But if you have a guy here at home who's looking after the shop, who you think is a really solid character, I think you get an electoral return for that. Dan, do you share my view about pensions that, you know, like, when, you, when you're a minister, and I've been a minister, you boil things down to, well, what can I actually change yeah. here and what is beyond my control? To some extent, Brexit or Trump may be on my control, but something like providing a national pension scheme is something only the government can do. Yeah, well, there's different ways of doing it, as you suggested. There's the auto-enrolment uh, part. There's also, we're unusual in the system, and, and Varadkar has said he wants to move away from this, is there's very little difference between the state pension that you get if you've never put any paid any PRSI or the state pension that you get if you've paid uh, PRSI all your life. And that's very unusual. Most continental countries, if you've paid in, you get a very generous pension from the state on the basis of what you've paid in. You don't get that in this country. So Varadkar has said he wants to go towards the continental model, that if you have been paying... A pay-related element? A pay re- much more. You know, the two pensions are almost the same. There's really no difference. Um, as, is it the same thing with unemployment benefit? There's really no difference between somebody who's never been working, uh, the benefit they get, and the, somebody who's been working for 30 years and becomes unemployment, unemployed. So it's not a contribu- co- uh, based on contributions as it is in most continental countries. That's where he says he wants to go with it. I think, again, it'll be very interesting to see what actually comes out of the budget uh, on that that issue, amongst others. I'll give you the last word. Dan O'Brien, Chief Economist with the Institute of International European Affairs, columnist with independent newspapers, Labour Senator Ivana Bacic, Professor of Criminal Law and Criminology at TCD, and Legal Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times, Colin Kenna. Thank you for being my guests. Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.